Genre. everybody, welcome back to Countdown to Infinity. Uh, this is Ray Ruzo here, and I'm joined today by Chris O'Connor and Becca Ray Bergen, as usual. Say hi, guys. Yo! Hey, guys. Alright, so today's episode, we're going to be talking about Iron Man 2, which I think Becca and Chris just rewatched today, and I'm going off of memory because there exists on the internet what is referred to as the shield cut of this movie. <laughs> Which is really just, it cuts out pretty much everything related to Venko and Whiplash and that entire arc. And it just leaves stuff related to Natasha and Nick Fury. And I've watched that so many times. And so the only villain is, uh, is, is Justin Hammer? Pretty much. Pretty much. Nice. That probably would have been better. Much better. I mean, it's a, it's comes out to be a 20 minute video it's really great <laughs> so it was how many years was it between iron man or between two the incredible it was yeah two it was years? 2010 to iron man 2 and 20 2008 for iron man and incredible hulk right okay that makes sense because the disney merger was going on in that time right 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 and they were like reshuffling everything Lots of uh, lots of papers to sign, lots of T's to cross and I's to dot. Lots of, no, 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 it's okay, you guys. Mickey Mouse isn't going to take over, we promise. I remember fans were losing it. It's like, oh, they're going to ruin everything. Oh, yeah, I was. I was so upset when this happened. It, I, I, I had to go for an early lunch break <laughs> and I drank. At the, I, I, I just went downtown to like American Tap Room or actually that wasn't there at the time. I went to the Austin Grill in Bethesda and I was like, give me a beer! I'm sad! And people were like, why are you sad? And I'm like, Disney just bought Marvel! <laughs> and these people looked at me like I was exactly like you're looking at your podca- podcast player right now. And I'm sure that when Disney bought Lucasfilm... It went pretty much the same. Well, no, I didn't do the same thing then because, frankly, as far as I was concerned, they'd proved themselves on Marvel and I was like, buy everything. And now that they are buying everything, I don't know, man. Anyway, whatever. We'll see. I don't know how I feel about the Fox buyout. Um, I'm I'm nervous. Yeah. You're you're flying too close to the sun, Disney. Stop. (laughs) Too many people. (laughs) Too much good stuff. Too much power in one mouse's hands. I was going to say, with great power comes great responsibility, but... I was about to say that, damn it. (laughs) It does now, especially since, you know, they got Spider-Man back. They have Spider-Man back, and they have the X-Men back, and it's going to be interesting. Do they definitely have X-Men back, or is that just still like a... Yes, they, they have it. They they have the control, but it's a matter of, you know, this has been a cinematic universe yeah. all its own for over a decade, and it's been successful. You know, it's I don't think it's been as successful as the MCU. You know, it seems like every third one in the in the X-Men franchise is garbage. Let's see, X-Men 3, uh, Wolverine Origins, uh, Apocalypse. Yeah, like every third one is trash. Okay. So it's almost like the Star Trek, it's almost like the Star Trek rule. Yeah, yeah, it is almost like, yeah, I had never thought about that before, but it is like the the first one of the three Wolverine movies is garbage. Uh, the third one of the X-Men movies is garbage. The third one of the most recent X-Men series is also garbage, which makes me so sad. Anyway, um, anyway Iron Man 2. <laughs> too slightly less garbage. Far less garbage. So Disney has bought Marvel, and now they kind of have that powerhouse to really go ahead and do this whole Avengers thing. And they really used Iron Man 2 as the platform to kind of go, hey, guys, we're building in all this other stuff. 
because you already start to get references to other things existing in the Marvel Universe. You get Nick Fury saying he has bigger issues in the Southwest Corridor to worry about. Southwest region. Southwest region, right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And you're like... It's like, New Mexico's not a corridor. Corridor region. It's a plane. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Language. Details. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, like, the the first two movies had come out, you know, they'd had Iron Man and they had had Incredible Hulk and they were both successful, you know, one far more than the other, but in both of them they had... They had connected to each other. They had references to each other. They had references to other things already. So they kind of, they had done those things. They had dipped their toes into the universal, wait, not universal, the, to, to the, in, into the idea of creating a larger interconnected series of movies. And they're like, you know what, let's do it. And so they did. So where do we want to begin? Do we want to start with Tony jumping out of the plane in the height of his mania or Vanko and his father? Yeah, actually, that's a really great way to put what's going on with tony in this film is that he's going through a period of mania he really is as we get to like touch on in iron man 3 tony is not a mentally stable person and so many ways this was a really good exploration of how unstable he can be yeah you see like the height of his ego and his arrogance in that very opening scene like and especially with like the yeah and with congress and i mean the stark expo is like Again, it's that rock star persona that he is Bolton. You start to see that that's a persona that he's building as a defense mechanism Mm -hmm. more than anything else because we find out shortly into the movie that Tony is dying. He's being poisoned by the arc reactor that's keeping him alive. Palladium. Palladium poisoning. Terrible way to die. Also, another thing with the Stark Expo that I that I picked up on is uh, it's very much still connected to Howard and Tony resents a lot of the legacy that Howard left for him. And you see that, you know, pretty much any time a character references his father in this movie, he gets like defensive and standoffish. Yeah. yeah. Shifty and looking away. He's like, he's like, I'm especially Nick Fury. What's really interesting is his like yeah. big song and dance as it were in this is very reminiscent of what we see later in mm-hmm. Captain America yep. when Howard makes his first appearance at the World Fair. <laughs> so I just thought that was like yeah. a good little touch. Also, the Iron Man girls in there. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. The Iron Maidens. Yeah, that, that was good stuff. That was, uh, was, was very... Um, well, no, no, that never happens in <laughs> TED Talks. But um, <laughs> that happens in Vegas. You know, that's a that's a very that's a very showy, flashy, woohoo kind of thing. But also at TED Talks, they never have like you know people in the audience lifting lighters slash repulsor hands. Yeah, it was, it was a nice touch, a little bit of marketing and merchandising. It's like you know, you know, Stark Industries may have uh, cut off its uh, defense industry, uh, you know, sort of revenue stream, but they're making up for it on toys. Big time, big <laughs> Seriously, time. they could just purely run themselves off of Iron Man's publicity and popularity. And that is kind of like a fun bit about how, like, in the MCU, there are toys of the various heroes and like characters that like crop up it's like you know these these are real world figures that are in the news and some like company out there how do you think like the other companies have like negotiated the rights for to make like captain america dolls or thor action figures because like with with tony it makes sense it's perfect it's easy like kenner just came to stark industries and said we can totally make you a very sellable toy and you know that would work. Tony would do it. He'd it would like feed his ego, and he'd be like so happy. But what would happen if Thor found out about the action figures that are made of him, and he was just like, mm-hmm. I don't think he would mind. I think he would be used to it because he's a god. Like people have been making idols of him for like thousands of years. Yeah, idols. I don't. Okay, fine. Thor. Thor might not like. Uh, more, not, might not mind. He might just be like, oh, you silly idolatrous, <laughs> you know, humans. Uh, but Bruce, Bruce Banner. Banner, like the Hulk. Bruce wouldn't like it. He'd be yeah. like, the Hulk yeah. would not like action figures of the Hulk. He would freak out. He would be like, no, I don't want this. But I don't think he would hire, I don't know if he's confident enough to come out and get a lawyer and be like, please don't make these. Yeah. I feel like Steve, it's probably like in his contract <laughs> that people are allowed to make toys out of him. Yeah. So when he signed up to do that uh, USO tour. Yeah. Right. Well, and also he's 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 coming close to being in the public domain. So 
Yep. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. The, the, the USO tour like includes like a little contract like thing yeah. in there about like uh, your image is ours in perpetuity. Some sort of like silly clause that didn't matter. It's like, what do you mean this lease lasts a million years? That doesn't matter. Like seven hundred thousand years later, people are like, I can't believe we He's signed a ninety-year-old capsicle, everybody, and we are way off track. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Wait, where were we? Okay, so we're talking about uh, Tony's mania and like his ego and his his height of arrogance. And yeah, so the the Stark Expo is like a, a great start to that. Very flashy. Very. I was like, I'm not saying I've brought about world peace. Yeah, it calls back to the thing you know in in the first movie where he's like at the height of his Toniness, and you know that the next narrative step is to break him down and and make him like come back from that so his mania and everything it just makes sense that of course he's gonna fall from that somehow so yeah and it's it is interesting that that the mania that they they give him on this is is very clearly a result of his uh what he believes to be well what is his impending death Mm -hmm. you know this is a not a midlife crisis this is an end of life crisis this is the sort of uh sort of traumatic experience that that people go through when they get uh, a terminal diagnosis uh, you know, people find out they've got six months to live. What are they going to do? They're going to do some crazy stuff. Yep. It happens quite yep. a bit. And it, he starts doing really crazy things and he doesn't tell anyone about it. Because I think part of Tony is still working away trying to figure out how to f- fix this himself. Because yeah. he can't really let go of the idea that he can fix it himself. But he also knows like, okay, I'm going to make Pepper the head of my company. I'm going to give away all my art. I'm mm. going to let Rhodey take the suit. By the way, we have a new roadie. Yeah. yeah oh, I loved that I bit in in the uh, in the Senate like uh, hearing where uh, I wasn't expecting to see you here or something. Yeah. Lieutenant Colonel Rhodes, and he's like, "I'm here. Get over it." You know what? It, yeah, it's me. I'm yep. here. Get over it. Like you know, with his back turned to the screen. It's just, that was great. Yep. That was great. I like yeah. that little bit. It's like we acknowledge that you have been recast. I am roadie. Yeah. That speaking of that. congressional hearing the stuff between tony and uh senator stern like just that's 100 percent ad-libbed oh really guarantee you oh okay i like i can see it like well the thing is iron man one like so much of it was improvised i can't really imagine that some of that feeling like some of that liberty wasn't coming over into the other exactly yeah Yeah. i I imagine they they kept that going because it worked out very well for them they have a very charming and witty and intelligent cast and they're able to do it and gary shandling is a very funny guy for a secret nazi wait that's that's yeah gary shandling is not a secret nazi obviously may he rest in peace oh that's right sorry uh far be it for me to disparage the dead well, you weren't disparaging him. You were saying he was not a Nazi. And I think that is a great thing to say about right. somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good thing to be able to say in this day and age. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. that that hear, that that hearing um, for... I liked that hearing more than the Stark Expo. I loved his his uh, quippy sort of devil may care, like flashing peace signs at everybody, cracking jokes, not paying attention, not caring. In the moment, I remember when I watched it in the theater, when I when I saw it and... Even when I watched it now, um, I, I was I was like, "Oh, this is great! He's getting one over on him. This is really funny!" Ha ha ha! And you know, he has like the winning moment where he hacks the screen and and shows him like how the other suits are doing, but and how failure they are. And by the way, the, the hammer suit is just grotesque. That that failure. Ugh. It's like by the way, that test pilot survived. Yeah, oh, just I guess we'll talk about Justin Hammer in a second, but uh, or maybe I don't know, but but. And in the moment, that whole scene is really great. Like, Tony ends it on the, I've privatized world peace. Ha ha ha. But when you put it in the larger context of the rest of the movie, when you put it in the rest uh, in the context of of what happens, you know, later in in the MCU, like, uh, it's not actually great. And as much as he likes to say, oh, you know, it's a prosthetic device, my, my suit, it's, it's, uh, it's not a weapon. It's a, it's a flight, you know, thing, blah, blah, blah. It's a weapon. It is absolutely a a super duper super weapon uh that would allow him you know as we will see uh later on he could stop a nuclear weapon or he could divert a nuclear weapon you know he it's incredible power and his sort of silliness about it is really scary (laughs) 
Yeah, that's... Yeah. I think that's something that carries through with Tony in general. Like, he doesn't realize the depth of the consequences of his actions. Um, mm. To the point where, you know, even all the way down the road in Age of Ultron, he's really in denial still about his weapons past. Like. Yeah. Yeah, he tells and his Claw, weapon's present. When he's talking with Claw, he's like, yeah. oh, this was never my life. I'm like, of course it was. The weapons killed Wanda and Pietro's family. Like, how can you not still feel responsible for that? That's a huge leap forward. But the thing about Tony referring to himself as a nuclear deterrent, this is the movie in which he learns that that's actually not a good thing. And we know he <laughs> learns that lesson because he turns that statement on Nick Fury in, a, in three films. So this really, if Iron Man 1 was the story of Tony learning to take responsibility for things, this is him having to relearn the same lesson. I don't know. I feel like that's Tony's arc is that he constantly like makes these baby steps of like two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. And then he gets too comfortable and he gets too prideful and he gets, you know, he rises too high and then he, then he has a fall. Yeah. And in this one, it's that, you know, he, he was in a strong, stable place at the end of Iron Man 1 and, you know, he's doing well and he, he feels more and more confident, but he gets knocked down a peg by palladium poisoning his arc reactor, you know, killing him slowly. And that, that knocks him down and makes him realize that he isn't, uh, quite as hot as he thought he was and 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 he has to deal with that and he doesn't deal with it very well he's not a team player yet he's not a team player for a while i mean he's not a team player he's he's he well no at the end of this movie he is a small team player he he team plays with uh, pepper and roadie but at then when you get to the avengers it's like how much of a team player is he in the beginning eh, not really but it 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 it's something that he grows into. The thing that the other thing that knocks Tony down a peg in this movie is Vanko. He doesn't necessarily replicate the same suit idea, but he comes up with something else that is just as effective and yeah, kind of scarier. He comes up with multiple things that are effective and scary, and it the drones were much more effective. Forces Tony, who was living in the beginning in this, I'm the only one with this mentality. And then Vanko shows, I can make this thing too. Like, the exact same thing, because his family was erased from the history of Stark Industries or whatever, so. Yeah, and he has and he has a similar, uh, you know, it's sort of a there but for the grace of God mm-hmm, go I, mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the, the um, their, their fathers worked together on the same project and they were responsible for the same technology. One of them uh, stayed in America and was incredibly successful and was able to raise his son in, you know, wealth and privilege. And the other one got kicked back to Soviet Russia and was treated as a traitor and sent to a frozen hellscape prison camp where he raised his kid. Kudos to him for pulling himself up by his bootstraps and building an exoskeletal suit in squalor. I mean, it's no cave or anything. <laughs> I, you know, I was watching that that little the 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 bit where he's like making it there in the beginning, mm-hmm. like very much echoing like the beginning of the last yeah, movie yeah. Where, where Tony's building, um, and he's like doing the blacksmithing like in the apartment, and it just reminded me of something like that I saw in the news, like some upstate New York like town, like a whole city block got burned down, uh, like last November. Or, or, yeah, I think it was, like, last November because some guy was trying to make knives in, like, his apartment. He was, like, trying to do blacksmithing <laughs> in, a, in a residential space, and it literally burned down, like, 20 homes. Yep. It's yep. crazy. Anyway, I was, I, when, I, when I saw him blacksmithing in his, uh, like, shabby apartment with the creepy Tony Stark murder wall covered with all the clippings and, and you know, pictures and stuff, I was like, dude, dude. Any spark could set that wall on fire. <laughs> and this building is old and crappy. It's also that poor bird. So, oh, you know, that's a that's a sort of connection. Like, apart from the sort of um, the parallels in their characters, it's kind of interesting that Mickey Rourke himself was, uh, like, on a sort of career renaissance and resurgence after The Wrestler, uh, after, frankly, you know, a long time in the Hollywood wilderness of nobody wanting to work with Mickey Rourke. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so similarly to taking a chance on Robert Downey Jr., you know, they, they sort of yep. saw that uh, Mickey Rourke was back uh, back on the ups and, and keeping himself uh, active and professional and doing a good job, and they, they brought him in, and, you know, he did... He did an all right job with this character, but frankly, I I don't. I'm I'm really curious to see this 20 minute cut of the movie without without Ivan in it, because <laughs> because <sighs> the thing is, I honestly think I know what they were going for. I know that they really wanted to hit this yeah. theme of legacy. You know, Howard's legacy. What's legacy? What is a legacy? Exactly. Very Hamiltonian. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. His 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 little speech, uh, like, you know, when he runs into him at the, your family are all murder, butchers and thieves. You know, that was that was some good stuff. And they mm-hmm. I remember that from the trailer. Actually, you know, you could also probably do a cut where all the S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff is cut out. Yeah. And it's just him and Tony. And that might also be a stronger narrative. It might be, you know, because the S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff is all sort of set up for the universe and for the future stuff. But perhaps there is a stronger movie there between Whiplash and Iron Man if you're not constantly being interrupted by Nick Fury and Black Widow. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I think that's what this movie really suffers from is the fact that it's kind of two different movies smushed together. Because you have the greater outside force of trying to set up for Avengers down the road and all the little milestones that need to be set up but at the same time you've kind of sacrificed a a good story for tony in the process yeah 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 and um yeah i mean like similarly they they have they both have their their daddy issues but um there was one thing that that i should have talked about more on iron man one i can't recall um offhand how, how much i got into it in fact i don't i don't think i got into it much at all but the weapons design the the concept of an exoskeletal weapon system um is real it's something that uh, people have been trying to make for a very long time and uh you know we're, we're getting better and better at it and there are various uh versions of uh particular kinds of uh, military or industrial exoskeletons that are going to be rolled out for you know actual real world use very soon, uh, various models have been displayed at uh, weapons tests and uh, military industrial uh, expos uh, in Vegas and various foreign countries. Um, and some of those uh, systems are as simple as like a set of legs that allow people in warehouses to lift, you know, tank shells and boxes of ammo for hours without getting tired. And some of them are are armored suits on which you could mount all sorts of weapons. I don't know that I would necessarily mount a uh, a nine millimeter pistol and an FN two thousand and a pump action shotgun of all things, uh, as Hammer does. But that technology is finding its way to the modern battlefield, and it is uh, it's very real. One of the one of the things that's always held it back and continues to hold it back is power. I mean, in Fallout, you need, like, a nuclear reactor to power that kind of thing, so... Yeah, you need, like, the fusion coil or whatever. And you get, like, 30 steps out of it. But the battery technology is getting better and and better. It is no arc reactor, um, which I am right now kicking myself for not reading up on the um, either real-world inspiration for or... Uh, sort of, you know, Star Trek technical manual fan wanky explanation for how it works, but it's it's you know it's it's uh, <laughs> how do we make this magic thing magically work? I know. Let's just have them build a tiny little shiny thing. Okay, so apart from uh, the magical uh, sci-fi uh, being able to solve the problem of the power source, I love like basically every one of Tony's suits. I suppose in Iron Man three, I can find some of the forty-seven that I hate, but. So far, by Iron Man 2, like, the, you know, the half dozen that he's made, all excellent. And the suitcase version, amazing. I love it. I love the suitcase version. It's so cool. That is, like, such a, a badass moment of this compact, like, briefcase thing opening up. And you see the thought process of what he's been going through of, like, okay, well, how do I make this portable? And you, it's just kind of a lot, like, a through line that he's been developing you go from that suitcase version to the version in Iron Man 3 where he's trying to 
summon them all to him with the repeaters, and then I think that through line goes straight through to Ultron, like. Well, and the ver- and the version in Avengers where he's got the one that that flies onto him. Those bracelets, yeah. Also, it helped. The suitcase version helps because it's an Easter egg because that's in the comics that he um eventually yeah he early fairly early on in Iron Man I think he was able to like miniaturize it put it in a briefcase and then happy yeah and then his bodyguard carried it literally carried it around and the thing had to be heavy so that yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah so so it added to the whole bodyguard is Iron Man thing I love all the Iron Man suits I hate the whiplash stuff I hate it so much in that first like the the one in the, the second one apart from the silly whips like his suit actually looks pretty cool but in the first instance as effective as it is in the movie and of course it has to be because this is the villain showing up and presenting a real threat and knocking Tony down off his pedestal and I don't understand why his jumpsuit burned off his body That was cool. That was cool. I think It was cool. I just don't get why it happened. It, it was. was a really cool effect. Um it, yeah. it was just to look cool like the rest of the suit like there was a there was like something about like that whole scene that really made me mad. Well, not not like in the moment, but like afterwards. After Tony beats him, and uh, you know, like he's beaten, he's on the ground. The cops show up in their SWAT gear with their guns drawn, and they take him away. Why didn't anybody shoot this guy with all of his exposed skin while he was slashing at cars? He's got these whips that are like okay, twenty feet long tops. And yet, there was, like, a SWAT team there. His, like, head is completely uncovered. His body is mostly uncovered. It's, like, a a very sort of... uh, It's a skeleton. It's an exoskeleton. It's not, like, a carapace of, like, armor. It's just, like, sort of the frame. And it does give him the power to sort of stand up to the car and get hit against the fence without dying. And that, you know, that can make sense. The frame allows you to sort of take that impact. But nothing on him would stop bullets! Maybe it's because it's Monaco and maybe there's less police brutality. I don't know. Oh, I don't know, man. I I'm Maybe they sure, were just afraid. Like European <laughs> European cops can they they can I mean generally like when you run into cops in Europe, generally they're unarmed and they're not afraid of you and it's not an issue. But Europe has a long and proud tradition of horrible terrorist violence. And, uh, like, I mean, like, something that I saw, like, when I was in Germany as as a little kid in the 80s is, apart from, you know, the normal cops that aren't armed, there are in city centers, like, heavily armed cops, like, you know, the SWAT guys, which Mm -hmm. I remember after Mm -hmm. 9-11, everybody started complaining about seeing uh, heavily armed SWAT cops in, like, large city centers. And I was like, I've been seeing this. I saw this in Europe decades ago people in europe have seen it for a long time it is a good and effective deterrent and those people they should be able to shoot someone like this anyway but then the movie would have been much shorter yeah (laughs) that's uh that's probably the real reason why (laughs) also whips are just a little bit or kinky depending don't go there this is a family podcast (laughs) ray no we're marked explicit on fate on uh itunes (laughs) I know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, at least I, uh, at least Ivan wasn't Ivana. Could you? Oh my god! Could you imagine if if, oh if Whiplash was a female character and she's like using whips as weapons? How much more like, like I, I don't. I'm sure somebody's yeah, into uh, Mickey Rourke's look, but I'm definitely Our not face. one of them. So, I'm going to use this opportunity to take a really weird leap. Let's talk about Natalie Rushman. Rushman, Natalie Rushman. Yeah. I- I want one. Rushman? Rusman? Rush, Rushman? Russian? Russian? What was that? Natalie <laughs> Russian. There's actually um, a typical spycraft thing. Um, to make an alias, you want it to be similar enough mm-hmm. that you will respond to it. So you have the Nat at the beginning and the Rur. So you get yeah. Natasha Romanoff. So, so, so it's easier to respond. Be able to res- Obviously, she's highly trained. She's highly trained and would be able to fit any other alias. Who do you want me but to be? This is like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but what I love see about her is, you know, in the beginning of this movie, you get her purely as she is trying to manipulate Tony. Mm-hmm. And she knows how to manipulate him is to be that femme fatale. 
pushes all of his buttons. All of his buttons. All of them. Oh yeah, yeah. Like yeah. that. That scene where he's boxing with uh, with with Happy, which also, you know, he's just being Poor mean happy. To, to Happy. He's like, he's like, it's called mixed martial arts. It's like, but we're boxing. It's like, come on, I'm just boxing <laughs> with you. And he's like, no, I want a fight. Fight. <laughs> it's just hilarious. He's the yeah, butt monkey. Happy. But then then she shows up, and I, I, I love I loved Pepper's like uh, yeah. she is particularly <laughs> I love that moment. And he's just sitting there like yeah, scrolling was... through her like photos and yeah. Her her, her yeah. did you model in Japan? Because she did. Nobody speaks Latin; it's a dead language. And then she turns around and speaks Latin. Later. Yep. <laughs> Which is a great. I love that moment uh, uh, when speak she Latin. does. It's useful. Because at this point, it's later in the movie, it's after he's found out that she works for S.H.I.E.L.D. and that she's a plant, and he's kind of weirdly into the whole, mm-hmm. like, she's really good at lying, and Tony is not necessarily... He calls her uh, an imposter, right? He, he calls her an imposter, but yeah. <laughs> a triple imposter. And You're fired. And I love this moment. And she flips out. She does. She... Re- yeah. Who are you even? And, like, it definitely gets... pokes her button. The movies never really give a good enough look into her past, but we know that she was raised from a child to be a spy. And when she flips out at him, what she says in Latin is, along the lines of appearances are deceiving. Which is great, because then he goes, what, what does that mean? She says, there's something about, like, I can have you collect <laughs> It's like, oh, oh, it's Natalie again, is it, or something like that? When she comes in as as the uh, the new assistant, he lost like half. Yeah, oh, Natalie, Natalie is it? Trying to blow her cover. Yeah, that that's that's kind of a thing. Like they don't like she gets. I think she she certainly gets flushed out more, uh, fleshed out more, not flushed, uh, in the other movies in the MCU. But even then, like there's still a lot that's kind of left unsaid, and it's it's. I kind of wish that. I mean, it's too late to sort of put it in now. It obvi- I don't think they're ever going to do it. But, uh, like, and I haven't read, like, the recent um, Black Widow stuff, but wasn't, like, a part of her character, um, you know, from from the beginning and, like, through the 80s, 90s, like, what the, that she's similar to Steve and that she's much older than she appears. Um, and that feels yeah. necessary because... Scarlett Johansson, uh, as effective as an actress as she is, she was born in 1984. She's younger than I am. At the time of this movie, she was 26. And so at the fall of the Soviet Union, she would have been like six or seven. Like how much training would she have really been through? Like the Red Room yeah. would have, that that would have collapsed. Yeah, because she has a the, line. The collapse of the Soviet it's Union. It's like you would not Yeah, she has yeah, that KGB line. KGB for her, she'd work for FSB. And they would be different. Yeah, no, in um, in the comics, I believe she was born in 1928. Um, yeah, no, she's old and she's yeah. been experimented on, so she does have slowed aging, peak human right. condition. Yeah, um, she is just fuck this up in Age of mm-hmm. Ultron, but she is infertile. Um, but that's mostly due to her um, immune system. Uh, she has an enhanced immune system that would treat any pregnancy like a parasite and destroy it. There's a great Black Widow uh, comic called Homecoming. There's a great Black Widow comic called Homecoming, and that's a big uh, plot point in it. But for, yeah. Um, another plot point is that Nick Fury is an asshole, so... <laughs> but we all know that. Wow. Spymasters generally are they always have yeah. to be revealed to be yeah. at, at one point or although another. i kind of love uh, i know, love that yeah to do the job yeah it's like sometimes like when you're because they have to have a emotional disconnect in order to manage all of these people yeah, yeah. although i kind of love the moment when he introduces natasha as a shield agent to tony he just has this very proud papa look on his face yeah of like look at my spy isn't she great she <laughs> totally fooled you <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I did like that. But there's early signs, too, um, of her being a spy uh, in the party scene where Tony is completely drunk and fighting Rhodey in the proto war machine yeah. suit. There's a great scene where, or a great moment 
where they just come crashing down through the ceiling. Mm-hmm. And Pepper freaks out. And she she falls into a defensive yeah. pose. pose. Yes. Like, I love it. You see Pepper freeze and she's just ready to fight. I mean, I apart like, apart from that little little tidbit, mm-hmm. I think they really gave gave it away when she, you know, uh, did a little scissor leg takedown on on Happy. I mean, in, yes, in the boxing group. that that, right. that kind of gave it away. Yeah, his it, she, he's like, have you ever boxed before? You little, little typo, a little, little uh, you know, foxy boxing. It's like <laughs> she just has this look on her face of like, I could destroy you <laughs> with my thumbs. Yeah, it's like as as good a spy as she may be. In that moment, she was not able to contain. You know, not able to contain her herself. contempt was just too much. She's like. I just can't deal with you. And that's that, another that could, that reason I think cover. that she's much older than she is. She does not give fucks. She yeah. has the lack of fucks that comes with age. Well, that actually, like, in that situation, I would believe somebody who's much older than they appear would have just been able to blow it off and not make a scene. I think she knew she needed to. Yeah. To, to really finish get, getting Tony's attention because, like, he was paying attention to her when she was in there. But then, yeah. Oh, this guy's impressive. You're going to be my PA now. <laughs> I want one. Yeah, her her uh, her introduction is good. Like, out of all the S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff, like, if, if it would be possible to sort of... As much as I love Coulson, he could be excised. As much as uh, Fury could be just less. But you keep keep her in there. I don't know. That'd be hard. Yeah. The only reason they had Coulson in there was to set up Thor, so... Also, he has the wonderful line about tasing Tony and watching Super Nanny while he drools into the carpet. Natasha does facilitate a good chunk of the plot, though, and she is really, um, she's yeah. kind of the one who stopped everything. She took down Ivan's program and turned off all the hammer drones, which just kind of goes along with my thing about how Tony never really, yeah, never alone anyway. His films. Yeah. yeah, never alone. You know, if 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 other people yeah. had done their part, uh, or if, if there was no Tony there, they might not have been able to do their part at all. And if there right. was no Tony there, and they were able to do their part, well, what's the next step? It's a team effort. So at the end, when they when yep, yep. he goes from his Malibu mansion to Flushing, New York, in like two seconds, <laughs> once he finishes like recreating the suit and the arc reactor, then he figures out what Vanko's doing, and then all of a sudden he's in Flushing, and I'm like. That's not how Iron huh. Man works. But whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, like in the first movie, he flew from he flew his Iron Man suit from from Malibu to Afghanistan. Yeah, but right? you know, it presumably took longer than the blink of an eye. Yeah, he okay, could, okay. He couldn't, you know, go faster than this. <laughs> Was it the blink of an eye? He had like he had like the day. He he, because he he figured it out in when the sun was the way still, they were, uh, Malibu. The way they were editing the movie, mm. it was it was simultaneous. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah. Like when everything was going down. A little Westeros yeah. fast travel. It's a comic book movie, guys. It doesn't have to make sense. I need it to make sense. <laughs> I know, I do too. Okay. It, it for me. my sanity. It's more fun when we try. Even even if it doesn't make sense, it's a lot of fun exactly. to try and make it make sense. Okay, new theory. New theory. Go. Stephen Strange time traveled back I... to assist him in getting there faster. <laughs> You're fired. Oh, you are ooh, fired. Anytime, no, and no, no. In any instance, any any plot hole in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, any plot hole, Stephen Universe went back in time and fixed it. Stephen Universe or Stephen, Stephen Strange? Stephen Universe. No. Oh, Stephen Strange. Jeez. All right. You know what? No, I want it to be Stephen Universe. Let it be Stephen Universe. Ah. Oh. No. Oh no. <laughs> Okay. Oh, no. Oh, I made a terrible mistake. (laughs) The crystal gems are now part of the MCU. It is canon, I declare I thought I was on a roll. I got carried away. I referenced the wrong thing. Oh, no. (sighs) Darn it. I did not mean to do that. Okay. Like, but what I was saying, Doctor Strange goes back in time and fixes the plot holes. Damn it. I ruined it. So, speaking of characters who never met before, so in the big battle scene (laughs) at the end, you have the hammer drones targeting everything that looks like Iron Man, and as there's so much Iron Man merchandise out there, it starts targeting civilians, including a very small child, who should have just remained a small child. And then... I do not like this theory. 
I do not like it, Sam. I am. The little kid in the hoodie. Oh, no. Like, it, he was there at the very beginning when in the little sort of like after Spark Stark Expo, like Tony's like going through and it's like that thing where the camera's following him around. There's the little kid with the, the hoodie. It's the same same kid later. So this kid's gone back on multiple days to Spark, Spark, Stark Expo, regardless of who it is determined yeah. to be. But um, I think Marvel Studios came out and said, oh, yeah, that's totally Peter Parker. Yeah, once they had him back. And I'm just kind of like heavily yeah. eye rolls. I like it. I Yeah, it's it is. It's a little eye rolly. It is cheesy, but you know what? I like okay. it because there's so many things in here. There's so many things like uh, that are so sort of interconnected mm-hmm. and so um, you know open. Like you know, uh, uh, Olivia Munn is in this as yeah. herself. So can Olivia Munn never be a part? Of, like it, can Psylocke never show up here? <laughs> Psylocke shows up in the MCU, and it's like you look a lot like Olivia Munn. Anyway, um, but uh, also like Kate Mara was the U.S. Marshal that like uh, yeah. you know uh, served him a subpoena at the very beginning of the movie, who went on later to be Sue Storm in a terrible, terrible, Fantastic Four movie. But you know, it's like they, there there are a lot of actors who who like uh, we had the same thing happen uh, last episode with the Incredible Hulk. Um, you know the the pizza eating computer nerd is uh, Peter's like science mm-hmm. teacher, and like that's just mm-hmm. like. Has to be because it's the same <laughs> actor and he looks the same. I mean, <laughs> so Michael B. Jordan wasn't really so the human there torch, are all right? Sorts of opportunities to do little things like, oh yeah, that's Peter yep. Parker, and as as silly as it might be, I think it works and I like it. It oh, okay? It I'll let you have it. It's okay. One of my favorite things about the movie The Martian is that apparently Sue Storm and Bucky they Barnes did, had a okay? baby. It happened. Get used to it. It's going to be a weird baby, invisible and everything. I don't know. <laughs> oh my God, they're going to lose track of that baby so much. Right? Right? We think Hera was bad. Oh, it's going to be so oh, much yeah, worse. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yes, the Martian is so good. Aww. And also at the end, uh, Watney flies like I Iron like Man. I like that a lot. I love that movie. And and that was set in 2035. So he would be a kid now who watched Iron Man and that's his hero. It's all connected. It is all connected. Yeah, super off topic, but we're talking about interconnected stuff and and creators being able to to play around with movies the way that they never had before. Because like you couldn't do this with the Spider Man and Daredevil movies like you know fifteen years ago when they were controlled by Columbia and Fox, and and that's one of the great things about the MCU is that they have this freedom. The sandbox is so huge. Yeah, they can make things more than than they would be on their own. I mean, as much as I love the Spider-Man movies and sort of guilty pleasure like the Daredevil movie, it was it's it kind of sucks that, you know, as much as we know these characters know each other and they work in the same city and they're friends and they do these things together and they interact all the time in the movies, they have to pretend that, you know, neither the, the other one doesn't exist. And that just was kind of sad and small. Matthew Murdoch micromanaging the fuck out of 10 city blocks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I like to I like to think that in Infinity War it'll be like you know like the 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 you know Thanos's troops are like crushing New York and it's like the Hell's Kitchen is holding its own <laughs> whereas like everybody else is like you know being, oh yeah you know, Har- you know these, these other places have been like you know overrun but like Harlem and Hell's Kitchen are doing great. <laughs> I mean Hell's Kitchen has two right. Yeah. It's got Jess and Matt and then Harlem's got Luke. Where, and then Danny's fucking around somewhere. Where's Danny? I don't even know Danny. where Danny is. I'm just like, uh, he's, uh, he's probably walking around barefoot pretending to be homeless when he has millions of dollars. Like, let's face it. Ugh, that little. Yeah. Blech. Meanwhile, anyway. the, the defenders are looking around at the Avengers and just being like, this is above our pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, oh, oh, we can't, we can't do anything about that. Oh, <laughs> no, no, we don't do aliens. We just do undead ninjas. Yeah. <laughs> Come back to us with the zombie ninjas. If you guys want to help us out with zombie ninjas, that'd be great. But we can't really help you with this. <laughs> that'd be kind of funny. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, so Iron Man so- two. <laughs> One of my favorite, and this is one of my favorite parts in the in this movie, and I was mentioned, I said this to Ray when we watched it, is um, when the activations, the introduction sequence to all of the various um, armed forces drones, where they play like the military songs. Yeah. I always really like that because it's exactly all the songs. I like all the songs. I like that because that's actually how I learned which songs go to which branch of the armed forces. See, see. <laughs> 
You learned something. I did. That's uh, all that matters. As an army brat, that was already, I mean, I, yeah. I, but I, I enjoyed that scene too. It was kind yeah. of, you know, sort of uh, cheesy, patriotic kind of, you know, jingoistic. Woohoo! It's over the top. And it was, and it's, that was, but that it's was, cool. That was probably Justin Hammer's like best moment. Yeah. You know, it lasted for a moment. Um, and you know, okay, let's, let's, I guess we haven't talked about Sam Rockwell much at all, have we? Yeah. So he was, he was lovely. Talked about Ivan. We talked about, uh, about Mickey Rourke and, uh, you know, his performance and like how, mm-hmm. I don't know, he's kind of underserved and there might've been something there, like they would have had to shoot more with it. And it's kind of the same thing with, um, with, with Hammer. Like this sequel kind of suffers in the same way that a lot of, a lot of superhero mo- movies did. Um, especially like, uh, and it started with. Spider-Man 3, mm-hmm. too many villains, all the Batman movies in the 90s, like Batman Returns turned out okay, mm-hmm. but everyone mm-hmm. after that, it was like the Riddler and and mm-hmm. and Two-Face and like uh, Poison Ivy and Mr. Freeze and neither character yeah. was given the opportunity to be fleshed out and strong mm-hmm. and be their own threat. And like, it, it was like two separate stories that didn't really work well together. And it's like, it, I, there's the same thing here where again, it's, you've got sort of two movies in the space of one. Yeah. And I feel like with, especially since Iron Man was still considered like a B tier Marvel hero, like his villains aren't as well known either. Like you look at a Spider-Man villain and yeah. you know who they are, but you don't know like who Justin Hammer or who Whiplash is supposed to be. No. So you need more time with those bad guys you know, to figure out who they are. And we just, it fell flat. Although it's sort of fitting, all three of the Iron Man movies have two villains. Mm-hmm. In Iron Man 1, you had the Ten Rings who were really being backed by Obadiah. Here, you have Justin Hammer, but the muscle of the villainy mm-hmm. really is coming from Mickey Rourke. <laughs> and over in Iron Man 3, you have the Mandarin, who is really actually Killian. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think it does sort of fit thematically with the Iron Man movies to have that double villain thing. Yeah. But when you have yeah. two villains in one plot line and another plot line, it's just it is mm-hmm. too muddled. In in the first Iron Man, I think it worked because it was much more an origin story. Like you know, again, you know, we talked about it on the on the first one for that that the villains there you know, they're not particularly remarkable, but. It was a better movie because it was such a great introduction to such a great character. And in mm-hmm. Iron Man three, I think the two villains actually worked. I really liked. It. I know a lot of people. You know, we'll talk about it more obviously when we do Iron Man three. And I know a lot of people hated the Mandarin reveal. They're wrong. I loved him. I liked it. I, I loved really, it. I thought it was well done. They, and that was a, Trevor. Trevor Slattery. That was a good way to sort of deal with a very problem problematic legacy character. Yeah, while also making really good social commentary. Yeah, we'll 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 talk about it. Right, the Mandarin is a ridiculous villain, so you have to make it ridiculous. Like, but for Iron Man two, I think there again two movies, and I think in one movie Ivan is the villain, and in one movie Justin Hammer's in the the villain, and I think either one of those movies would have been better than this movie where they mash them together. I think if mm-hmm. if either Hammer was given an opportunity to be more competent and villainous, and uh, or Ivan was given a, an opportunity to be more personally, well, he's, he is pretty compelling, but more personally compelling, more um, like he doesn't really get the sort of screen time to to get the audience interested in him. Like he's he's not. I don't know. I'm not sure what needs to be added to Ivan's story. You know what's terrifying in the comics. Obadiah's son and Justin Hammer's daughter team up and are actually a really terrifying pair of villains. Mm-hmm. There was a Matt Fractions run and it was <laughs> yeah. awesome. Okay, interesting. Oh, and another thing about Whiplash. When I first saw him, I didn't know who Whiplash was and I was like, wait, how did they get Omega Red? There's also, um, God, who's that other really good, there's another good Iron Man villain, Crimson Dynamo. Um, Stands out from the comics for me. Again, uh, also I think tied to Natasha somehow. Well, she was an Iron Man character for a lot a while, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. Actually, I want to go back to this. I want to go back to this. She was actually introduced as an Iron Man villain. Right, um, right, right, right. right, right. Spider Man, Iron Man, um, communist masters, and she's just she's so funny. <laughs> like my communist masters will be pleased. <laughs> <laughs> Because because that's how communists talk about themselves. 
That is the most red scary dialogue ever. Yeah. Exactly. She's like yeah. scary Russian, like she has like black hair at that point. She wears like a veil over her <laughs> eyes, and it's just like the original character design for her is so ridiculous. They tried to draw her like a widow. And like <laughs> Yeah. They really little did. on the nose. And then she recruited Hawkeye to take down Iron Man because Hawkeye was just a dumb circus kid. <laughs> was just a dumb circus kid. He still is. A d- it will always be a dumb circus kid. <laughs> okay, dumb circus kid. Shoot arrows at that guy in the incredibly advanced flying metal armor. I can't. I'm out of arrows. <laughs> I did my part. I shot all 11 arrows. <laughs> and I killed 11 of them. Yeah. Oh, Justin Hammer. Anyway. Uh, yes. Uh, baby Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. Like in this in this movie. So he got he has this sort of like cool moment at the expo introducing things, which is immediately ripped away and you know revealed for the sham it is. And like he ends up you know putting everybody in danger because he's a dum dum. But like all all of his little little like moments, like uh you know when he shows up at at the uh, congressional hearing and he's like he gives his little speech and like a person laughs and you know he's like trying so hard to be like Tony Stark. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can see the chip on his shoulder like in Monaco when he's like with Kristen Everhart and like, you know, they talk about the spread and like Tony like sort of, you know, sort of like moves his face like he wants to make a joke about it. And then Pepper makes the joke for him and and, and, yeah. and Sam and and, and Hammer is just like <laughs> Tony and I, we're not competitive. We're not we're not competitive. And then she's like, no. like mesmerized by his image on the screen as he gets into the to the race car and you know justin hammer's just like but 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 (laughs) but me (laughs) random elon musk cameo yeah yeah that was pretty awesome he's so awkward (laughs) is he's an awkward guy but like he is at the you know at the at the time of iron man one and iron man two and like people still say it now they're like you know he's sort of a real-life t- Tony Stark. If there's ever an instance of, like, some strange experimental weapon showing up and, like, solving a crime or averting a disaster, he's the person we're going to look to first. Considering yeah. they tested a shuttle <laughs> over Southern California last week, the other week. His, the, the, the SpaceX, like, the, the, Falcon, Falcon. the Falcon rocket yeah. that can that can go up and land. It's it's sort of like um like when you think about like old sci-fi movies, mm-hmm. like you see that happen all the time and it doesn't seem that impressive, but when you actually get it all into rockets and like you know they it's easy to send them up, but when they come down, it is almost impossible to, to get yeah. it go like straight down, let alone have it land. Yeah. Like that. And and when you watch like the 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 videos of like all their failures that ended up in this huge catastrophic explosion and then when they finally succeeded, it's like, you know, that's actually that is really cool. Science. That was science. Science is, you know, technology. Technology will solve all our problems. Uh, Tre- uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Howard Stark played mm-hmm. by, in this movie... John Slattery. Oh, Slattery! <laughs> Trevor Slattery, John Slattery. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know, I and no offense to the guy who, who played Howard in, in the first go, I, I really like John. the pictures that we got. Yeah, the, the earlier... Oh, right, yeah, he, he didn't actually yeah. do anything, it was just pictures. Yeah. So anyway, so John Slattery's great. I, I, I love him, and like the little... There was... I didn't finish talking about Justin Hammer, did I? Did you guys have anything about Justin Hammer? No. No. Also, I mean, apart from like, his sort of yeah. like uh, chip on the shoulder, sort of like silly, sort of sad guy, always wanting to impress and, and to do better, he also had like a, a kind of gross uh, thread of misogyny uh, running through him. You know, like the the stuff with uh, mm-hmm. with Christine, and then like you know his weapon being called the ex-wife, and then yeah. and then when uh, <laughs> when when Pepper and and uh, Natasha go up to sh- to stop him, and he's like, "We gotta get these bitches out of here." It's like, oh, you. You're awful. <laughs> you, you, you sad little man. He's I like, Tony might be a womanizer, but he's not a sex. It's like I hope that you go to prison and 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 learn from the experience, um, and 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 come out a better person, uh, and spend some time in self reflection. Thing with the ex-wife. Oh yeah, and it doesn't work. It's hyped up to be this mm-hmm. ultra super awesome weapon, and it's just a dud with a lot of words that I think contradicted one another in some places. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, his his weapon. Oh, and and also like all the weapons that he put on there, 
Like, some of them are like cool weapons, but it's like, why would you put a small arm designed to be used by a person's hands on a on an exoskeleton? That's just <laughs> dumb. It is like so the only dumb. weapon on there that the only the only weapon that was good to put on there was the minigun yeah. and a rocket yep. launcher. And like other than that, everything else needs to be completely redesigned. You don't just stick a gun on the thing. Like when he hit when he showed like the, the pistol and like, you know, the, the two military guys are there like not reacting to anything. And like he's you know, he's going through all the small arms. I kind of was hoping, like, at some point, like, you know, watching it, just be like, you know, this is stupid. What are you doing? We're giving you, we're showing you mm-hmm. one of the most advanced pieces of military technology in human history. You know how much that suit costs? And you want to put, like, a pop gun on it. You know how much that pistol costs? $800. <laughs> it's like, I have shot the FN2000. Yeah. It's a cool gun, but it makes no sense to put it on that suit. Ah. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's that's the Justin Hammer talk, and then we were... Tony's daddy thinking, issues. Tony's yeah, daddy issues. Yeah, Tony's daddy issues. issues, and John Slattery. And Tony Stark eating his feelings in a donut. Sir, I'm going to have to ask you to exit the donut. <laughs> Donuts! That was good. The donut, that was good. And trying yes. to make Pepper eat yeah. her feelings, but she was allergic. Tony and food is just, like, really spectacular, because... First thing after getting back from the desert and being held captive, he wants a cheeseburger. Now he's eating donuts. In Avengers, he's eating blueberries. And shawarma. He wants his tuna sandwich. He wants a shawarma. <laughs> didn't, didn't they say in, uh, in Avengers, like, the blueberries bit was, like, because uh, Robert Downey Jr. constantly has to snack. <laughs> and so they just, like, have it on set and just let him that makes sense. And, like, snack as he goes. <laughs> that makes yeah. sense. They're like, he's doing a great job. We can work with him. It's just a character trait. Tony Stark snacks all the time. He's got to do something while the brain goes. Yeah, I really, I really liked the Howard Stark mm-hmm. stuff, um, and and uh, you know the sort of the Stark Expo and how you know World's Fair, but even more than World's Fair, like um, Epcot Center and Walt Disney, like those old Walt Disney like film reels yeah. where he's like talking about like you know science and mm-hmm. technology and the potential dangers of global warming and and all sorts of things in the '60s where it was just like wow. Okay, Walt Disney, that's some interesting stuff. You know, thank you for bringing that to my child attention. I definitely got that vibe off the Howard Stark stuff. It was it was really good, and his yeah his bit in the film reel mm-hmm. where you know like you know Tony's like watching the sort of the 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 waste footage, the stuff that wasn't used, just the raw dailies like that from that project, and then he gets to that little bit that he had never yeah. seen before that was for him. Like that that bit is like you know out of all the things I've ever made, what is and always will be my greatest creation is you. And I was just like, oh, that's a that's a really sweet thing to say. And that's probably something that Tony really needed to hear, considering how how things le- left off. with. And especially with knowing that Howard created Captain America and helped create Captain America. Like, Tony could have obviously looked at that and said, like, oh, he obviously thought Steve was a, bit, a much more important thing that he did in his life. But no, it was really it was like Tony. My flesh and blood son son, who, uh, you know is not the product of super science is, is more important yeah. and that's good mm-hmm. i personally have a little bit of an issue with it and i know it's because they're trying to make this like a gentler film but uh part of the comics like we talked in the talked about with a uh, hulk is there's a lot of abusive dads mm. in the marvel universe and howard stark was supposed to be an abusive dad emotionally if not physically mm-hmm. and i feel like Again, this was sort of set up for, um, you know, Captain America, in which Howard was going to be a main character. So I think they needed to soften him a little bit uh, or like, yeah, it's, they had to make mm-hmm. him a little bit more likable before making him an actual character. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of those things is somebody somebody can be um, emotionally or even physically abusive and uh, to like a close family member, like a child or a spouse. And, you know, they can they can be awful in private to that person and they can still be in public a very likable sort of charming person that nobody would suspect is responsible for for inflicting that kind of harm on somebody that, you know, that they that they love. And even even then, um, and this kind of, you know, gets to uh, our our culture and how we we've raised children for generations and, and how it how hard it is to get. Uh, intergenerational violence uh, out of the system 
you know, there there is um, uh, particularly in the past, but even now, like when there is that verbal, well, maybe not so much verbal, but when there is that sort of abusive behavior, um, that person can still in many cases still genuinely love and care for the person that they're abusing and particularly with like child abuse they might think that they're doing it for the best um you know that that is a thing that that person can think and feel so it's entirely possible that howard stark in this universe was uh, at various points emotionally or or even possibly physically abusive towards tony but he could still have a private, you know, ha- have that moment where he leaves something that he he feels he needs to tell his son, and he could genuinely mean it in a, a good, caring way. It's like it's uh, <sighs> abuse is complex. Mm-hmm. It believe believe me, I know. I I, I think it, my issue with it is not that I don't believe within the universe that he didn't. I don't. I don't think he didn't mean it. I think it was just sort of um uh, yeah hand of the studio issue. Um, that, that, that's my critique. And the, and the same sort of thing, like, uh, you're saying like sort of softening things, um, like they, they sort of touch on it there in the party scene, but like Tony's alcoholism never really takes like the center stage as a problem in the, in the MCU, the way it does in the comics. He's a really problematic alcoholic. Yeah, like he never, he never has that moment. He's ha- he hasn't had a moment in the MCU where he's like, well, I mean, like he got to say, "I am Iron Man," but not, "I yeah. am Iron Man and I'm an alcoholic," <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is a pretty terrifying revelation for everybody. It's like, oh, hey, this super weapon has been yeah. drunk half the time. IWI Iron Manning while intoxicated. Doesn't he like fly through a plane at some point? Um, no, actually. Carol chucks him through a plane when she's no, oh, that was no. Ca- that was him and Carol and that's when Tony right. becomes mm. her sponsor. Yep. Superhero yep. sponsors. Wasn't that the uh, annual? I don't I don't remember when it was. I just remember that that's like he's her sponsor and that's how it came about. Character growth. Chucking him through a commercial yeah. airliner. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they so- the studio mm-hmm. will soften various edges, and and you know, like speaking uh, again, getting back to that idea of there being two separate movies in this one movie, it's like which one, in which move, the Whiplash movie or the Justin Hammer movie, which one would it have made more sense to mm-hmm. explore alcoholism as a problem for him? I think mm-hmm. I think the Whiplash movie. Yeah, because wasn't it implied that um, his father was an alcoholic? Mm-hmm. The older Vanko? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. Like, because he drank himself in Siberia and beating his son. And so yeah. that could be like a point of their, their you know, sort of hate for one another. Uh, or at least uh, for, for Ivan's Vanko's, like, hate for Stark is like he could, you know, he himself could be rather straight edge and, you know, not, not no, no drinking because of his drunk father beat him all the time and mm-hmm. like you know at some point he could be made aware of the fact that tony stark the human super weapon is wandering around a drunk half the time and you know apart from his sort of rage over like destroying uh you know his father being destroyed by tony's father there could also be that element of like you know you're uh you're a threat and that might have been a more compelling uh arg- you know a more compelling case for that villain yeah mm-hmm. Is if he was a little bit right. I'm trying to feel like there is a point in Tony being dangerous that Vanko has, but it's kind of watered down in the him creating dangerous shit too. Yeah, and it, like, his 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 like points are all like he doesn't his his bit about like in the prison where he's like all you know like you show them God can bleed and they'll tear him down and I don't need to do anything blah blah. It's he's not interested in sort of like controlling tony like he wants revenge that was literally lex yeah. luther in batman versus superman yeah 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 he needed uh like revenge is good but revenge when you can have the audience really get on the side of the villain and empathize mm-hmm. is better would be better yeah much more better wrap up i think so the Stanley cameo was at the very beginning. Very beginning, it was uh, Larry King. Yep. As Tony's walking to, walking out of the expo, credited as yep. Larry King. So the same way he was credited yep. as Hugh Hefner. So 
as we see later in Guardians 2, he's a watcher or like mm-hmm. watcher adjacent. Do you think that in the because are all of his cameos a watcher is was he impersonating Hugh Hefner and Lair, and uh, uh, I would love that. Larry yeah. King or is, I want. Yeah, that's was he you've actually, convinced me that's that's what, that's he, is. what he is. He's a watcher. He's the watcher yeah. the entire time. He's just the watcher yeah. the entire time. Let's go with that. OK, so. So he was no. That doesn't make any sense. Why would he be? Why would he be the watcher in his living room drinking a Brazilian soda and getting sick? It was his day off. Yeah. No, that's perfect. <laughs> Everybody needs a day off. The watcher needed a day off. Because like all the others, he's he's like sort of well. I suppose we'll see them as we go. Because you know the cameos are an easy thing to kind of forget. They slip from your memory. Um, and and uh, as we go, we need to see like does it make sense for this Stanley cameo to be the Watcher? I I contend that in Iron Man one and two, this this Stanley could be mm-hmm. the Watcher. But it is just silly to suggest that the uh, that the Stanley that drinks Brazilian soda and goes to the hospital in Incredible Hulk is a watcher that's just silly because he's obviously never watching anything having to do with our hero okay i suppose that's fair all right so at the end of this film we've had a mention of nick fury dealing with things in the southwest region uh colson saying that he's off to new mexico and at the very very end a funny thing happens on the way to thor's hammer (laughs) in which colson attacks people with a sack of flour and it's beautiful uh yeah it's it is very glorious. well choreographed. Watch it on YouTube. And our little tale that they make you wait for at the end of the credits is them finding Mjolnir in this massive crater in the middle of the desert. Mew mew! Mew mew! Mew mew! Mew mew! God, Darcy's the best. Mew mew! I'm really excited to talk about Thor next time, guys. She like, is. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Thor is going to be awesome. I think we're going to have a special special guest friend for for Thor. It's going to be great, listeners. Yes. Stay tuned. All right. Peace out, guys. We'll see you in Asgard. Yeah, we will. Heimdall, open the Bifrost. <laughs>